You're listening to The Leaf Report with Canadian Press National Hockey writer Jonas Siegel and the Athletic TO's James Myrtle. We're going to get started today and actually try to follow a format and try to talk about things according to the plan that we've laid out. Uh, so we're going to talk about Frederick Anderson. We're going to talk about the Dion Phaneuf trade, James. It's one year Thursday since the trade. We're going to talk about Riley as a number one defenseman, which we actually were supposed to talk about a couple weeks ago and just forgot. We will talk about William Neander's kind of sneaky season that's kind of getting lost behind Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews. And we'll talk about the Leafs' record against good teams, against not as good teams. And we'll talk a little bit bit about Mitch Marner, 2018 Canadian Olympic team. Is that actually a real thing or is that just fiction? Um, the first thing we're going to do, though, in our podcast that's now brought to you by Bab Socks, which James is wearing. I, I can't wait for Mike to find out that you're wearing Bab Socks. Um, so we're going to start with what we're calling the Bab Socks Babcock Quote of the Week. I like the ring of that. So the topic, we'll, we'll play the clip, uh, and then we're going to discuss uh, what Mike talked about. We turn it into something that's not. Just the game. Just play like the game's tied and go get the next one. Just don't be conservative. Don't back up. Don't protect anything. Just play the damn game. So uh, when it goes bad for you, you start making it a bigger deal than it is. It's no big deal. Just play. Okay, so Mike Babcock talking there, James, about, and I've been talking the whole time, and this is like two minutes, uh, but Mike Babcock talking about the Leafs and their ability to protect the lead against Dallas uh, on Tuesday night. What have you made of this whole topic the whole year? Um, we saw early in the season they, they had a lot of leads slip away. They got a little better at it. And then of late, it's kind of become an issue again. I think it's just that it's funny if you look like I've been trying all year to look and find the data that shows this and I have not succeeded in finding it. If you look at the numbers when the Leafs are up by a goal and they're leading this season, it's not like like when under Carlisle when they used to their their numbers when they were leading, their like possession and stuff like that and their shots against used to go way up. They used to they used to just hang back to a crazy extent. But if you look at their possession when they're up by a goal, it's really not that bad. I think what you'd have to do is you'd have to break it down you'd have to go down even further and distill it down and look at only like when they're leading in the third period at the end of the game or something and see what the numbers were like there. And then maybe there would be a change. I haven't gone that far, but I think what it is is that they just don't forecheck as aggressively when they have the lead and it's late in the game and they don't get the puck back. Or maybe it's how they're breaking out. I mean, I, a lot of their breakouts are really sloppy and off the boards or kind of like dump outs and, I don't know. There there's, has to be something. It's been going on for too long. I mean, I the first 20, 25 games of the season, I was like, well, you know, maybe this is just like small sample size and whatever. But they've blown so many leads and they've played so poorly. Uh, like that Islanders game was just so glaring. The game against Boston was so glaring how they, they couldn't hold the lead. So I definitely think there's something to it. Well, and it, it seemed like inevitable in those two games that they weren't going to keep the lead. Like some teams, like when LA, for example, and they're obviously a really good team, when they get the lead in the third period, it's like, that you don't have a, a second thought that they're going to lose. With the Leafs, it almost feels like inevitable. And I'm just trying to pick about a part what Babcock was saying. And he seems to be in, implying that it's like a mentality 
like just just go out and play just like pretend that you don't have a lead but like human nature is when you're leading you're instinctively not gonna try to make things happen as much because you don't want to make a mistake and cost your team a goal do you think that's part of their youth what do you attribute that to if anything yeah you're right it totally is human nature that's why we're, we adjust all of the analytics now for score effects because score effects are a thing for every team in the league. Every team in the league hangs back when it has a lead. It just that's just how it is. You know, I've, I don't think I've ever seen a team that's more aggressive or that equally aggressive when they have the lead. You know, they they just they concede more scoring chances when when you have the lead than when you don't. Which is it's really interesting to think about it that that's like teams just instinctually play differently when depending on what the score is. You know, and that's. Hockey is a a free flowing game, but the flow really changes based on if you have a one goal lead or a two goal lead, or you're down by one or you're down by two. And Leafs are pretty good when they're down, and they're pretty good when they're tied too. I mean, that's why they have so many leads. They've led more than I think all but three teams in the league, right? Like Minnesota, Columbus, and I want to say the Rangers maybe is the other one. So I actually have it open, and this is from Corsica Hockey. It's actually impressive that you could remember that. So the teams that have led the most in the league this season, and this is 5-on-5, five five, so maybe I should adjust it. No, that's right. Uh, Washington, Minnesota, San Jose, Columbus, and then Toronto. So they've led a pretty good deal of games. But like to your point, like you can even look at some of the puck possession numbers. The best team when leading is at like 51%. Like you're always, in, you're just going to get outshot teams are going to try to come back they're going to fire as many shots as they can at the net anything you're looking at in particular that you want to say well in the so if you look at the leaves in that stat their their possession when they're leading oh well it's a little bit lower than i was expecting you got to score adjust this though this is this is good radio right here this is good podcasting oh <laughs> You have to score and venue adjust. This is like, this is, I think we've hit a new low here with this. We might have to refund Babsock some money for this, <laughs> this part of, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, so you score adjust and like they're, they're pretty much, their possession numbers when they're leading are pretty average, which is the weirdest thing. Like it would be easy to point out and say, yeah, they are definitely, so I don't, is it, I would say that probably, yes, it is the inexperience of the players late in games when they're leading that they're not able to hold it. The other thing, too, is the Leafs just aren't a very good defensive team. You know, they're built for offense. They're built to push the pace and be a high event team. So if they hang back a little bit, they don't they can't do it. Like they just they don't have the personnel. The Islanders game was the one it really stood out to me. It seemed like every time the Islanders had a scoring chance or a goal, there were like two or three guys who were standing right on top of Anderson and everyone was on Anderson. But then I looked at the numbers and it's like 38 scoring chances allowed at even strength, 18 high danger scoring chances allowed at even strength. Like that's crazy. Those are like way too high. League average would be like for high danger is like, I think it's like eight high danger scoring chances at even strength a game. They were at 18 in that game. I checked that a long time ago and it was, I think Minnesota led the league and it was like around eight. Like eight, but your point, and you had some, you did a story on the athletic about, I think it was that game in particular, and just showing some of the graphics. All the goals in the Boston game and the Islander game looked the same. Like it was just like puck battles lost in front of the net, uh, not boxing out. Like all the goals just kind of mirrored each other. And, and Babcock talked about it after the game against Dallas that he thought they did a better job 
around their net. But this kind of brings us, this wasn't actually going to be the next topic, but it's kind of a perfect segue. Um, Morgan Riley as a number one defenseman, I looked, he's, he's still under 300 games. He's turning 23 in March. I've been, I've just been wondering like, when is a good time? When can you start to say what he is or what he's going to be? I guess my point is like some defensemen immediately, like Drew Doughty at 19, you knew he was a star. Duncan Keith was 25 by the time he was like a really, really good defenseman for the Chicago Blackhawks. At what point do you think the Leafs and maybe us as people covering the team can start to evaluate his ceiling or whether this is it or not his ceiling, but I guess whether this is kind of what he's going to be in the range of. I think we're getting pretty close. And it doesn't get talked about enough. I don't know why I said this on Twitter the other day. I really like Morgan Riley. I think he's a good person. I think he's a good player. I think he's, if they decided that he was going to be the captain of the Leafs, I wouldn't really have a problem with that. But I have a problem with Jake Gardner and Marincin and Polak and Hunwick and pretty much everybody on the team except, I mean, Zaitsev hasn't got a lot of criticism. But Riley just doesn't ever seem to get criticism. And... I don't think he's that much better than Jake Gardner, and we we can debate. There is a debate out there if he's better at all. It was interesting. Riley, I think, missed seven games, I think is what it was, and I did a piece where I broke down, and I wanted to show how the ice time changed and how the results changed. The results didn't change that much, and now the Leafs didn't play a lot of good teams in that stretch, but... If you, if you're a true number one defenseman, if you're like Chris Pronger in his prime and you're the Oilers or the Flyers or whoever or the Blues, and you're missing Chris Pronger, the results in those seven games are going to be ridiculous. I remember the first six games of the season, Crosby missed with a concussion. You look at the possession for the Penguins without Crosby in those six games, it was terrible. They were one of the worst teams. As soon as he comes back, the next six games, they're the best team. And it's just like, it was like a 10% possession shift. Riley doesn't, like, he's not making that, that change. That he's not making that impact to me that says that he's probably a two or a three and for some reason it doesn't feel like that's been acknowledged in the market and I don't think that that's I don't know it's it, it's a weird thing with him where like like Kadri gets criticized so much and Gardner gets criticized so much and he and and Riley never does it's a really good point I think part of it and it felt the same way sometimes with James Reimer a little bit and just comparing him to Bernier Maybe it's likability, like the media like him, he's a likable guy, like he comes across well in interviews, and like just comparing Reimer to Bernier, Reimer was like, who couldn't like him, like he was just very likable, and Bernier, I I grew to like, uh, but he, he kind of rubbed people, I think, a little bit the wrong way in terms of how he was publicly, and maybe that changed how he was evaluated, I don't know, like I'm just thinking off the top of my head, but I've been trying to figure out like how... What, what should we define a number one defenseman as? And I just stumbled across what I think is a good answer and talking to the guys on overdrive. I think it's someone who, who changes a game, who is like a literal game changer. And when you were talking about Pronger, you could watch a game most nights and be like, Chris Pronger changed that game. Like he did something, same thing with Scott Niedemeyer, same thing with like the, the guys we think of of really Chara. Chara. Like they change how a game is played, whether it's defensively, whether it's offensively. I don't think you can say that with Riley. And I guess the question is, what does he have to do to get to that level? Is it become a better defensive defenseman? Is it 
become someone who puts up more points because the offensive side of his game, like I'm not sure he's going to be a 50, 60 point defenseman. What do you think about those things? Okay, in fairness to him, he's not playing a lot on the power play, and he's not—he's definitely not playing on the first power play unit. I think if you swapped out Gardner and put Riley on that first power play unit, and all of a sudden he was getting all those power play points, maybe you can look up how many power play points Riley has this year. I think Riley could be a really high-scoring defenseman. That's not my concern with him. My concern with him is that if you look at shots against, scoring chances against, uh, possession, all of those things, all of the defensive numbers with Riley are... are concerning mm-hmm. they're they're concerning for a guy that is playing 23 minutes a night for your team they're just they're not good enough and maybe that's youth but as you said i mean i think that i i think that even we there's this idea that defensemen don't get to what they're going to be until they're 27 or 28 and it's it's false you know if you look at the analytics guys have have grafted out when peak performance is and for forwards it's like 23 years old for goalies it's like I think it's like 24 or 25. And I think for defensemen, it's like 24 or 25, you know. And you get really close to your peak at 23. I mean, Riley is... So even strength points. Right. Yeah, so he said... But I was just wondering how many power play points he has this year. Four. Yeah. So, like, I think he could be a 45-point defenseman. I think he could be one of the higher-scoring defensemen in the league if you used him in that role. It's an interesting discussion I think you could have on why they're not using him in that role. I wonder if one idea is that you you have a power play. Uh, you want to be able to use a good defenseman right after that power play shift when, like, the other team puts out its best line. and it's, You know, they're using their penalty killers. Then their best players are going to come out right after they, they've killed that penalty. You want to have a good player out there. That could be part of it. And the, the the difference on the power play between Gardner and Riley, Gardner's numbers in terms of shot generation are actually a little bit better, but I don't think there's that huge difference. Well, two two things. How, and this might be a stupid question, but the defenseman on the Leaf power play almost seems a little less important than maybe on power plays we used to think of just because there's one and everything is kind of running through Matthews or Nylander or Marner. I mean, Gardner has eight power play points, so it's not like their defensemen are, are giving them a lot in that respect, and yet their power play is awesome, so it doesn't really matter. But I guess the question is, like, can he handle... Like, part of it, I think, why they haven't used him on the power play is minutes. Like, Babcock wants to use him on the penalty kill. He's using him against number one lines. I'm guessing he probably doesn't want to put too much on Riley's shoulders, but, like, the guys we think of as number one defensemen... They don't play 23 minutes. They play 27. So if this is him at 22, 23 minutes, and he's not doing well in terms of some of the underlying numbers, what does that mean bigger picture? And does that mean he's ever going to become that guy? I don't know. Like, I I also don't know about what you mentioned. Like, Randy Carlisle used to have that, that saying, like, you need 300 games before you can evaluate a defenseman. You don't think there's any merit to that? What are you looking up here? Yeah, look at all those guys. This is this is going to be great podcasting. What are you looking up? Well, I'm just looking at the ice time. I was just looking where like Riley's not in the top thirty. Like so, top thirty is probably what you would consider the number one defenseman, right? Just in terms of ice time, he's not in the top thirty in the NHL. You know, and the list is oh, you, you, 
you you changed it just as I was going to read the list. He's 45th in terms of average, but that part of that is because of the Buffalo game he got hurt two minutes. He only played two minutes into the game, so he's he's at closer to 23 before the injury, and his minutes have been lower. They've been. Playing with a high ankle sprain after missing only seven games is very, very difficult. We don't know the severity of, of the high ankle sprain, but that's what everyone is saying with, that the injury is. It's uh, It could limit him the rest of the way. It really could. I mean, that's such a tough injury. I don't think he's been quite as good as he was before, so that could be part of the defensive struggles of the Leafs in the last, what's he been back, four games or something like that? I don't know. I think Riley will continue to get better. You know, I think he will continue to get better over the next two seasons. I would say it's just, it's a little bit concerning that he's not, as you said, being that difference maker in games yet. What do you think about who he plays with? Like, if they had a better defenseman that he could play with, if they had a number one defenseman that he could play with, that would obviously make things easier, obviously. What What are you thinking? I think that changes everything. I mean, I, I think that he'd be totally fine as a top pair defenseman if you had a right D that played with him that was unbelievable. I mean, that that is the number one thing I would try and get and add to this team is a right defenseman who... But I mean, like, it's it's impossible to get. It's like if they could get, like, Brent Burns or, you know, like, I don't know who's available. That's why I like Truba. It's like, well, if Truba really doesn't want to be in Winnipeg and there's a potential you could move him, you give up a lot for a guy like that. A guy that can... What you asked, I think, before we started recording, what kind of what kind of defenseman do they need? And in, and you sort of couched the debate as do they need an offensive defenseman or not? I mean, I don't think it really matters. I think this team's going to score a lot no matter what. They need someone who's really good at shot suppression, who's really really good at breakouts and uh, zone entries, uh, getting Matthews the puck in the right areas of the ice. They they need a defenseman who. Anyway, I mean, it's gonna it's gonna sound like we've been we've been bagging on if I can use I don't know if I can use that term or not we've been we've been criticizing uh, Riley and been too hard on him for ten or twelve minutes or whatever and that's not the case it's just the case of how do the Leafs get from where they're the twelfth or the thirteenth best team in the league which is what I think they are to how do they become one of the top five teams in the league and I think part of it is they got to get better on D and part of it is that Riley's probably a better fit as a two. I don't think what we're saying is unfair. Like like you said, like he is part of the team. He's played in the league. You can evaluate what he is and what he's going to become. The reason I asked you like what type of defenseman do they need is on the quiz on TSN during one of their broadcasts, they they kind of listed like four defensemen, which of these defensemen would you go get? And I think they couched it as an offensive defenseman. Which of these offensive defensemen do you need? And it started me thinking like do they really I just think they need a good defenseman. Like, I don't necessarily need think they need someone who puts up points. And I think the argument was partly that you look at their defense I and mean, they're not getting anyone who puts up ridiculous point numbers, though Gardner is having a good year that way. I just agree with you. I think you need a good defenseman. Like, you need an, I don't know, Anton Strahlman-ish type player. Like, who's, who can play on your top pair? I just don't know how you're going to get that guy. Um, which, what... That's what, everyone's freaking out about like oh it's out there that maybe they have to trade Nylander. The only reason why I, we suggested this on the podcast like months ago, and like we don't like trading Nylander, like we do not want to do that. But we're talking about getting like one of the best right defensemen in the league. That's what we're talking about trying to get. So like the only way you get that is by giving up a really good player, 
And I think Nylander is a really good player. So, like, they got to, I don't know, I think they have to solve that hole. And it's not going to be, a, there's no easy solution to that. Well, Taylor Hall got Adam Larson. Taylor Hall is really good. Um, and the difference is, obviously, Nylander's younger. Uh, Nylander right now is on an entry-level contract, but he's going to need, you know, the same type of extension at some point. But, like, you, that's what it costs, and so if you're going to get that guy, how do you do it? Because like free agency, you and I both look next summer. This summer, there's not much besides like Shattenkirk and that's debatable. 2018, there stands to be a little bit more. And so maybe that's what you do. You try and find someone in free agency so it doesn't cost you an asset like Neander. And that kind of brings us around to the season that he's had. Do you think it's, I don't think it's, it's obvious his season has kind of gotten lost behind Marner and Matthews. How do you think we'd be talking about his season if there was no Matthews and there was no Marner? It would be like the William Nylander show. We could rename the podcast the the Nylander pod. So I was looking at it today. Marner's on pace for 73 points, which is crazy. It'll be one of the best rookie seasons in terms of point production that we've seen in 15 years. It'll be It'll be way up there. Um, especially if you scale for the era, like I think a lot of people are looking at like Crosby had 102 points and, but those power plays were crazy. Like there were, I think there were almost double the number of power plays in that year that Ovechkin and Crosby came into the league. Some people are looking like I'm posting the the stats and like, well, I can't remember who it is. I think Ovechkin had 69 points in his first 52 game, 51 games or something like that. And like, well, Marner's only got 46. And it's like, yeah, but like he's not playing He's not playing seven minutes on the power play every game the way Ovechkin was his first year. I mean, it's so if you adjust for all of that stuff, I think Marner would look even crazier than. Oh, you, yeah, you've got the you've got the power play numbers right in front of us. People can like just listen to us surf the internet and look at numbers the whole time, and and then we'll talk about them. Power plays. So there were. Well, I'm confused. Power play opportunities is what we're thinking. So six. Okay. So there were 5.85 power play opportunities a game. Now there's 3.13. So it's almost double. It's very close to double. It's you know, whatever. It's a lot more. So like if, if Marner was playing in that 05-06 season, if that was his first year and he was playing on the power play, whatever, six, seven minutes a game, he would be on pace for like 90 points right now. And then I think people, we would be talking about it a bit different. So I got off on a crazy tangent there. Marner's on pace for 73. Matthews is on pace for 69. Uh, and Nylander's on pace for 56 points. 56 points is very, very good. And actually, uh, Dom, I'm, I, I can't pronounce his last name, Lecision, Cur- like Curtis Lecision. I don't think it's actually pronounced the same way, but that's how I'm going to pronounce it here on the podcast. He wrote a piece about Nylander. He went through and looked at the Calder Trophy voting for all of the last 10 years and where Nylander would rank. There were years where Nylander, with what he's done this year, would win the Calder Trophy or certainly would be one of the top three. And he's not going to be there this year. It's just, it's not going to happen for him. But 56 points is a pretty good rookie season, especially with all the stuff we're talking about in terms of how low scoring the NHL is right now. Well, like even looking at like save percentage, goals per game, everything, like I'm I'm thinking like two... 2006 2007 just because i'm thinking patrick kane just as the marner comparison kane that was malkin's year wasn't it mm, oh maybe kane was 08 yeah because he was the 2007 draft so he was 08 so there's way more power plays way more goals worse goaltending uh 
And Kane, I believe, got 72 points. So Marner's on pace for about the same with less power plays, less goals, better goaltending. So the goaltending this year is about 9-12. In that year, it was 9-09. And before that... You're right. But so the, the point is, like, you just have to think of it in terms of the era. Um, Neilander had the hat trick in Boston... I don't know. Like he's a, he's an interesting player, just because you can not notice him for a while, but his passing is exceptional. He's really really good on the power play. Um, do you think it's wrong that he? No, I don't know if this this is stupid, but do you think it's wrong that he's not kind of in the same breath as those guys? Like we think of it now as Matthews, Marner, Bracket, Neander. Do you think that's wrong? Like, what in the context do you think is his potential in comparison to those guys? I don't think he's as good of a player. I mean, I think if we're like if we're giving prospects grades out of ten, Matthews is a ten, Marner is a nine and a half, and Nylander's like an eight or something. And it's like there's no shame in being an like an eight is the Leafs haven't had an eight prospect. I can't even remember who the last one would be. You know, it, he's like he's. I gotta be careful what I say here. He's probably better than Kadri. Which is like, and Kadri's a good player, and we like Kadri, and we talk about how good he is. But I mean, Nylander's, if he has a fifty-six point year this year, I don't think Kadri's ever had a fifty-six point season. And as you said, Nylander has some real gifts on the power play. I think he's one of the higher scoring players in the league. He Nylander's on. This was in my piece today. Nylander's on pace for ten power play goals as a rookie, which no one has ever done as a Leaf. It would it would break the record. So that's another rookie record that would be set. I think Babcock said recently that the plan is still to move him to center. How do you think that changes like their longer-term outlook as a team? Because that means their one center is, is Matthews, their two is Kadri, their three is, is Neander. Does, does he just end up being a guy they heavily, heavily shelter? They give him, they give him the Sedin treatment, basically, play him a bunch on the power play. Do you think that's eventually just what he becomes, like a really, really good offensive player that way? I think that sounds perfect. That sounds like like how do you what do you do against that if you're the other team? Like you're not so you're not what you got to match Matthews for for sure. Matthews line mates are probably only going to get better from from here on. That's their top line. So you got to put your best D pairing and your best forwards against that. And then it's like okay, you're going to have Kadri. Right. Yeah, so so Kadri is going to be playing with Marner or Matthews. Probably well, let's say let's say Marner plays with Kadri, and then you're sheltering Nylander. Like Nylander, and if you give him all offensive zone starts, if you give him the Sedin treatment, which is like eighty percent of of his zone starts are in the offensive zone, that's it. That's kind of like a power play. It's not quite a power play, but it's kind of like you're in the offensive zone a lot more. It's really interesting that Babcock said that last week that that Nylander is a center. It really is interesting and. Like no one's gonna say it, but Bozak's not in the long term plans. Like he's just not. Like he's I won't be surprised at all if Bozak is traded in the summer. I think it makes a lot of sense to trade him in the summer. And then you just work with Nealander and try and get him better defensively, try and get him to be better in the face off circle. The reason why Babcock said the reason why Nealander's a center is because he wants him to have the puck all of the time. He wants him the reason he's good on the power play is because he's so good with the puck and quarterbacking the play and I remember Kadri once told me, remember they remember when the Kadri started with the Leafs, he started as a winger. And uh, there was a lot of talk about, is he a winger, is he a center, whatever. And I remember talking to Kadri one-on-one one time about why he likes playing center better than wing. And it's because 
it's a much different position. You see the ice a lot differently. You're seeing the play from the beginning, whereas the wingers are further up the ice and they're seeing the play. Like you don't get the puck while you're moving. It's it's about kind of like your vision and your ability to handle the puck. Nylander has all of that. He has all of the skills that a center iceman would. He looks like his dad. Like he plays kind of like his dad did, like but on a on a bit of a different. He's faster. He's like on a different level than his dad was. I don't know. I mean, that is that's a really deep three centers. If 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 that's where they go, and I think that I think they should go there next year. If if you can trade Bozak and get an asset back in the summer, I think you do it. Well, how does actually two things? And I'll ask you the question first, and then hopefully I remember my point after you talk. But how do you think that changes with expansion, like and and who to expose and everything like that? Uh, trading him before, like, do you trade him before or do you trade him after? I guess it depends who you're trading him for. If you're just trading him for like a second round pick, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I don't think the Leafs are going to lose anything of value in the expansion. Like the the worst, the best player they could lose in in the expansion draft. I mean, it depends who they resign. Maybe they resign some guys, but I think the best player they could lose is like Marinchin, and like Marinchin has not had a good year. Like I would be okay with losing him for sure. Or you could lose like a Reichel or something, and like. I mean, he hasn't really done that much in the AHL. Who's the best player they could lose? I, I don't. I don't see it. They're, I think they're going to pr- protect Carrick. I think, and they don't have to protect Zaitsev, which is a huge plus for them. Yeah, I think that's right. And I guess the the second question I was going to ask if if that is the case um, that that Neander is a center next year, uh, and then your centers are are Kadri Mar- Kadri Neander and Matthews, which I guess destroys this notion of Marner eventually becoming a center and maybe that's he looks fine on the wing and what well did you hear Babcock said in the same did you hear that that okay well so in the same scrum when they were on the road you got to listen to more of the Babcock they put them all on YouTube but he said Nylander is a center and uh Marner's not Marner's a winger okay well that I guess that leads me to, to what we talked about at one point with 2018 with John Tavares. Do you think that completely quashes the idea of him coming here? And and I guess the second part of that question is he is going to cost. They are going to have to pay. We've talked about how much they're going to have to pay Neander, Marner, Matthews, all those guys. Do you think that just quashes it? Like that's done with? Or do you think, like, I don't think you're signing him to be a winger. You're not paying him that kind of money. But the thing is, like, if you add John Tavares to what looks to be a really good team in 2018, that's a team that can win the cup, but maybe you can win the cup without it. Here's the thing with Tavares. Like, if you can get him and you like the number that you can get him at, you can trade Kadri or you can trade, you know, like it's like if a player that's really good that's going to be at the right price point is available, then I think that was kind of their thinking with Stamkos too. It's like, well, if we can get him for like a number that makes sense for us, then why wouldn't we try and get him? Tavares is like, that Islander game was very, very impressive. Yeah. Especially, I was watching the first two periods and I was like, okay, well, he hasn't made that big of an impact. Matthews has done, Matthews mostly played against him. Matthews has done a pretty good job against him. Third period, overtime, Tavares was like, especially late in the in the third period, he was all over the front of the net. And he was all over, he's a really good, uh, he's like if you combined, I'm trying to think with the right, he's like if you like, took like how good of a four checker Zach Hyman is and like put it into a star player like that's Tavares has like a lot of he's so good along the boards 
Well, he's so strong, right? And and you showed in your story, like, where his attempts were coming from. They were all around, like, the front of the net. Like, he was everywhere. And he, I don't think he had a point, uh, despite the fact that they scored no. six goals. Did he have a point? Yeah. Or maybe he had an assist or two or something. But he didn't score. Um, anyway, we have to keep moving um, so we can actually hit all the topics that we want to talk about. I should remind you again. Uh, the podcast is now brought to you by Bab Socks, our first sponsor in the history of the pod. James has got them on; they look good, uh, and they're gonna they're keep they're gonna keep expanding. That's kind of the cool thing about Bab Socks; like they have all these ideas. Like we met with them, uh, just had coffee, and they have all these cool ideas for what's gonna happen. What? They're top secret, though. We can't like, yeah, we can't we can't. But like some of their ideas is like if they can pull it off, it's like anyway. They're great guys, and like they've got good ideas, and I think it's going to be like a hockey apparel company that's going to be a lot bigger than just a goofy novelty sock with Bab. But they've done so well; like they've sold, they've made like crazy amounts of money with the number of socks. They have a storefront uh, up uh, near Davisville. If you're in Toronto, go check it out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love it. I've got like seven pairs. So Davisville's my old hood, and if you're up in that area, go to the Burger Shack. Great burgers over there. What was the we used to play at the tennis court? I don't remember what it was called. Yeah. That's where we played tennis. Was yeah, it's true. It was Moore Park. Um, anyway, so Babsocks.ca website's good, easy for for ordering stuff. Let's talk about Frederick Anderson. Um, he's got a, a sub nine hundred save percentage since the new year, since January first. Uh, some of this has been the team has been pretty porous defensively, as we touched on. But some of this, like he just doesn't look as good. Do you think any of this is just overuse? Do you think this is just the natural progression of a guy, a goalie? Like, goalies go through ups and downs. He was 930, 940 for two months, and now he's sub 900 for, like, a month and a half. What do you think this is? That's definitely part of it. But what's his average this year? Like, it's not that good. Part of the problem is that, like, his save percentage this year now is below, I think, the league average, right? It's about average. It's just above average. Right. But for a starter, it's for a starter, it's probably average or a little bit below average. It's 18th. He's 18th for a starting goalie in the league, league right now. 914 save percentage. Is he earning the contract at that number? Probably not, if that's what he is. I know he's had the really good stretches, but he's had really bad stretches too. And it it's so hard with goalies because you're right they kind of ride this roller coaster and this is the thing with Anderson this is why Anaheim took Gibson over Anderson is what I heard is that Anderson's roller coaster is a little bit more has higher more higher and lows than than other goalies and they didn't know because he's had injuries and illnesses and stuff like that before they didn't know if he could handle a huge workload so to go from Anaheim's not sure about the workload question with him, he's only—I think his max is 54 games played ever, like anywhere in Europe or uh, in the NHL. To, for one team, and I think Anaheim's a pretty smart team, even though they're not much of an analytics team. I think they're like a smart—they seem to have really smart like hockey knowledge in that organization. They weren't sure if Anderson is a guy that could handle a big workload, and then to go from that to now, all of a sudden, the Leafs—I think he's on pace for 68 starts with the Leafs there's some big red flags there for me. Like there's still, there's there's big red flags for me with both of the Leafs goalies right now. And meanwhile, Enroth is the best goalie in the AHL. The best. He's had two shutouts uh, since he's went to San Diego. He's played, apparently he's played fa- fantastic for them. So 
I, I like why wouldn't they have just kept Enroth with the Marlies just in case? Like, say McElhaney comes in and is a disaster, and he's played good, sort of. He, his numbers are good. He doesn't look. I don't. He doesn't look. I don't know. Anyway, like so, the goaltending. If if the Leafs end up crashing and burning over the last, they got thirty games left. If they do, I think it's gonna gonna be because of the goaltending. Well, this was like kind of the big risk in signing him to a five year deal. Is like you are betting that he can do this consistently and i'm just i just want to read you the splits of his months because i was looking at cam talbot cam talbot has been like and and he's playing the same number too much for edmonton he's been really smooth like his dips his, you look at it monthly it's basically the same as like 920 ish this is anderson october 9 876 november 931 december 948 january 902 february 849 so those, like exactly like you said, those are some really big highs and those are some really deep lows. And part of this is like adjusting to playing a lot and, and playing well and playing for a team. The other thing that we didn't mention, like you're not playing for the Ducks. You're not playing for one of the team, the best defensive teams, best teams in the NHL. Do you think they would be worried at this point or they need two years, three years before they can really feel like they know what they have in Anderson or is that too long <laughs> goalies are just that's why we don't like five-year deals with goalies because you just don't know you know even if he was good this year and next year he could be brutal the last three years of the deal and I kind of if if like if if you put a gun to my head and said you've got to decide what you think Anderson is, I kind of think he's just an average guy. Like he's not a bad goalie, he's not a great goalie. He's better than Bernier. I don't know how much better he would be than James Reimer. Like he's just he has he he'll have potential to have stretches where he's good. You know, he's he's apparently a good guy in the dressing room and he's going to work hard and he's going to, you know, he's a late bloomer and he came from Denmark, which is, you know, obviously gave him some disadvantages coming from a country where goalies aren't from. But those are the things that that I hear around the league about what Anaheim thought is that a bit streaky, weren't sure about his durability and his ability to play tons of games. The, you know what the, the Leafs should do is they should invest in a better backup. They should really seriously bring in a good backup. That's what they, they should get a backup that can play 25 to 30 games. And if Anderson's in a bad stretch, the backup can come in. If I was a team, I would go more to like a 50-30 split, no matter what. Yeah. And I would... Like your backup, no matter what, is going to play twenty five percent or more of your games, yeah. or you're killing your number one goalie. So that's a lot of your games. Well, they have it in Toronto. At least this is based on everything Babcock has said. They basically only want the Babcock or the backup to play the back to backs. Like that is literally the only purpose. I think he even said before the year that the plan was like to play Enroth twenty times max. And that's, they have 18 back-to-backs. So that was like every back-to-back and maybe a spot start here. I agree with you. Like, I, I don't see, so maybe does that mean investing in a, in a younger goaltender and just trying to find something? Or what does it mean? I would invest some of the salary cap space they have in a backup goalie. And if you can get a backup goalie you like that you think is good, give them two years. Or I think the Rangers gave Ranta two years, right? And like Ranta has been part of what saved their season because he's played so well and Lundqvist has had really, like, Every goalie in the league is going to have bad stretches. Every goalie in the league. And if you can have a backup, the Leafs don't have it right now. Like they could not, if Anderson really struggled for a week, they could not put McElhaney in for three straight starts. They could not. And they need that. That's a luxury they need if they're going to be a contending team. The league, there's so much parity that why would you, 
even if you only plan to play your backup 20 games, that's still 25% of your season. I would invest more money in it. I would have a backup that makes two or two and a half million dollars a year and have no problem with that. Well, I looked at some of the backup goalies and we got a wrap, but I looked at some of the backup goaltenders across the league and there's only like a handful have had really good years. It makes a big difference for exactly the reasons you point out. Like Reimer has basically the same numbers this year as Luongo. So that means if Luongo's going through a rough stretch, they can give him a few starts. You can't do that with Curtis McElhaney. I wanted to show you. So Anderson has the 18th highest cap hit this year. And that's imperfect because all these contracts are signed at different points. But we said he has the 18th highest save percentage. He has the 18th highest cap hit. And so maybe if this is what he is, just like a league average guy, maybe it's fine. But I guess the the problem is like it fluctuates so much. You just don't know what you're going to get year to year. It's fine, but they didn't get any bargain there. And they, I mean, they could have, this year they could have come in with two, I think, low priced guys and seen what they had. And it was kind of an old school move, I think, to go with him. Really. There are a lot of teams where the back, like Darlings had a really good year for Chicago. Uh, I was going to say LA, like Budai has been okay. Condon and Ottawa's had a really good year. Yeah, Grubauer. Uh, look, well, look at uh, the Islanders. Like Halak was the starter, and Grice is like he earned himself a, another contract. So, I just think like you, if it's it's outmoded, it's it's outdated what they're doing, where you have a starter plays sixty eight games and a backup's a guy, a thirty four year old guy like McElhaney that you get off waivers. That's like has a weak save percent. Like no offense to McElhaney, but like that's not the way you win now. Like if you are going to be a playoff team. You got to invest more in a backup. Where do you think that comes from? The guy who ran the team that had a goalie play 77 times. Like I was looking at the, the teams in the last like decade plus that had a goalie play 70 times. It, it was Brodeur like a million times. So I'm sure like remember their backups like they didn't have they just had a guy who would basically sit the whole year play five games and that was that. And you're right, especially now with the schedule the way it is, you can't put that much strain and it's just not smart. Anyway, we have one more thing to get to quickly. Okay, fine. Did you see Ray Ferraro's comment about that? That was a debate. You see, you're not on... Oh, you did see it on Twitter. They talked about it. Ray Ferraro was like, the Devils have the least amount of travel in the league. Like, they, they, a lot of their road trips are like you get on a bus and like go to Philly or the Rangers. And like, so it's way easier to play back, back-to-backs and all those things when you're traveling like that. You know, the Leafs don't have that. Cam Talbot is on pace to play like 72, 73 games this year because Jonas Gustafson has been so freaking bad as their backup. Oh, I see. I didn't even know that. But like, he's been so bad that they can't trust him. That Talbot has to play that much. Both Talbot and Frederick Anderson are on pace to face um, some of the highest shot totals of any goalie in the in the thirty years that we have shots against stats. They're both on pace to finish in the top twenty, I think, in shots against, which is crazy. Okay, one last thing before we go, because it's just kind of a fun topic. Uh, I was discussing it with the the guys on Overdrive about Mitch Marner and the Olympics. And initially, the idea was like 2022. Could he be on the Canadian Olympic team? I don't think 2018, it's insane to put him in that conversation. They're going to have a really, really good team. Like I was just playing with like line combinations. Right now, he is tied for seventh in scoring among Canadian forwards. Do you think it's crazy to even contemplate that he might be on the Olympic team basically one year from now? I don't think it's crazy, but the only thing I'll say is that Hockey Canada is very much loyal to guys that have been there before. So I'm thinking of guys that aren't among those top scorers that might push newcomers down like Matt Duchesne and Nathan McKinnon and 
You know, there's a lot of guys, but I mean, 2022, I think he's there. I mean, who, I don't know. Marner looks like he's going to be a star and full credit to Mark Hunter for seeing that and having him that high on their draft list. You know, it looks, I think the Leafs made the right pick with, with Mitch Marner. I mean, he's just, and I don't know why we ever doubted him. Like, it's just, it seems so stupid that I don't know that you and I did, but maybe we doubted that he was going to be this. I yeah. I, I kind of thought he was going to be like Patrick Kane light, but yeah. you know it looks like looks like he like he can be a top ten scorer in the NHL is what it looks like right now. Yeah, it looks like he can be in the ballpark as Patrick Kane, who somehow is named one of the hundred best players in the, in league history. Anyway, that's a topic for another day. But I agree with not you, Malcolm. not Malkin. He's not good enough. Just just bunch of hundred point seasons. Anyway, we had to unplug the fish tank for this thing to make sure that it wasn't in the background. Uh, again, Charlie's okay. He's living. Uh, so the podcast brought to you, the Leaf Report podcast brought to you by Babsocks. James, is there anything else you want to add before we wrap? No? Okay. So we'll be back next week with another edition of the Leaf Report. It's all right. Thanks for tuning in to the Leaf Report. Follow the guys on Twitter at Jonas Siegel and at Myrtle. Of how-